This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go this morning to the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And just one verse, the final verse, verse 58. Paul writing said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, David Wilkerson, the late David Wilkerson, great evangelist and pastor for many, many years, uh, in one of his blogs, uh, he wrote these words. He said, years ago, God put it on my heart to start a boy's home on Long Island. I truly sensed the Lord was behind this work. Yet after just 18 months, state officials imposed such stringent regulations on the operation of the home that we had no option but to close it down. We had taken in four boys during this brief time we were open. Sadly, after we closed down, I lost touch with them. I have always thought that venture was one of the greatest failures of all time. For more than three decades, I wondered why God ever allowed us to move forward with it in the first place. Recently, I received a letter from a man named Clifford. He told the following story. Brother David, I was one of the four boys sent to the home on Long Island. Your house parents were so loving and kind. They taught us the Bible and they took us to church. One day they took us to a church that was holding a tent revival. I was so bitter and despondent that I resented going with them. But it was there under the tent that the Holy Spirit began tugging at my heart. And I heard the preacher say, Jesus loves you. And all the years of pain and confusion and hopelessness came to the service. And I got on my knees and prayed. That was 35 years ago. Now God has called me to preach, and he's moving me into full-time ministry. This thank you has been brewing in me all this time, and I just want to thank you for caring. I know what the love of God is. And he goes on to say, This man's letter proves to me that nothing we do for Christ is in vain. No matter what Satan tried to tell me, I know that boy's home was not a failure because one lost, confused Jewish boy discovered the meaning of God's love. Have you ever felt, has anything I've ever done in my life for the Lord been worthwhile? Has my labor amounted to anything what did I achieve? When my life's tale is told, what will it all count for? Will it count for anything? Have you ever felt that? Believe me, you would not, maybe believe me, if I told you how many times we preachers feel that. When the enemy whispers in our ears, your life has been wasted. You've accomplished nothing. And when you're gone, it will all blow away like dust. Because those are the lies of the enemy that comes against even the preachers and the pastors. 
Well, if you think that, here is your answer. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It may not seem much in others' estimation. It may not seem very much in your own estimation. estimation but in God's estimation, God sees it through different eyes. The divine bookkeeper keeps all the records. Every good deed done, every act of charity, every encouraging word you've ever spoken, every step of faith you've taken, every hour spent in faithful service, every unseen act of devotion, the Lord puts that in his ledger. And though you may long since have forgotten about it, be assured that God has not forgotten about it. Sunday school teachers, youth workers, praying mothers, Godly fathers, musicians, and singers, and administrators, and Christian workers, and those who gossip the gospel, who goes into the streets, and who gives out tracts, and who carries crosses like Wilson there. And listen, all of that counts with God. All of that labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Why is it not in vain in the Lord? Because God will reward you. God is a rewarder. Mark 9, 41, Jesus said, Even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you shall not lose your reward. Psalm 58 and 11, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Even God's creatures, he made them to respond to rewards. The little dog likes padded, the cat likes stroked, the old donkey likes a carrot, the horse even likes a sugar lump. We say to our kids, if you do well this week, I'll get you such and such. If you pass that exam, if you work really, really hard, then I'm going to get you your favorite whatever. And there's an incentive there. We, we work for the best for reward. We, we love to be rewarded as a human part of our nature. We like that. It's good to do that. A reward is acknowledgement. It says, I've noticed your hard work. I've seen your effort, your endeavors, your accomplishment, your desire to win, to battle through, to fight, to be, to do, to have. It's just an appreciation. It's something tangible that says, well done. And so God will reward you. For all your faithful labor, some of you over many, many, many years, much of it you've long since forgotten about, but God hasn't forgotten about it. Secondly, it will live on in the lives of others. And that's why it's not in vain. It will live on in the lives of others. Parents, what you teach your children will live on in their lives to one degree or the other. And that's our hope as parents, isn't it? That what we put into our children, that what we teach them, that what we instruct them in, that what we say to them, that what we do to them and with them, that somehow that will become part of them and that they will carry that into their children and then we will see our grandchildren blessed. That's what happens. It lives on in the lives of others. And I often say about our Sunday school teachers, 
you know, the effort they make, the times they study, they work hard, they prepare, they're downstairs during the main service and they're working away and kids sometimes are disruptive and they're bothersome and they're agitated and they can't hold their attention like a goldfish and, you know, and they're, you know, it's just sometimes, I'm sure teachers are exasperated. I'm sure they are, but they hang in there and they do it. And those children grow up, and many of them, not all of them, but many of them grow up with that teaching in their little hearts, and they never forget it. And they remember, my wife got saved in 1971, but should freely tell you that really the, the catalyst, uh, that may have been the moment in that particular church, at that particular service, but long before that, it was a Sunday school teacher. A Sunday school teacher who really cared in a church that didn't preach the gospel. In a church that never really taught about the cross and about salvation and being born again and being saved. But one Sunday school teacher did. And when it came her time to, to, to take communion classes, she didn't do it. Because she knew by what that teacher told her that she wasn't ready for that. That she wasn't a believer. She needed to be saved. So she declined and later on in life became a born-again believer. And so Sunday school teachers have got a tremendous responsibility and I believe it will have a great reward in heaven because they've taken care of the little lambs and they have been a blessing to them. Pastors, you hope and you pray that what you teach and what you say and how you live will live out in the lives of others in the congregation. Because we have a tremendous responsibility. In fact, we will stand before Almighty God and answer, answer to God for you. Can you imagine that? Sometimes I think of that in bed at night and can hardly sleep. Really, it's scary. I have got to give an account for you, for your soul's sake. And, and you, you trust and you hope that somehow something you've said or done or how you lived or something has has get into the psyche of the believers in the church and they're, and they're living that out in their own individual lives. So what we do for the Lord will live on, hopefully in somebody else's life, somewhere else, somehow else, maybe in a community or maybe even in a country. Laboring for the Lord is never wasted. It always produces something for both time and eternity. You know, if you, if you stop and think for a moment that, that what you say and how you live today will impact somebody else, not, not just for this time, but for all of eternity. There will be people who will give their lives to Christ who will end up in the glory because of you, because of what you said and how you lived before them. You were the one who influenced them and impacted them and have gone to the glory. And so what you do for the Lord today, the ripples will be in time, but hopefully it will ripple right into eternity. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Almost every great Christian organization has been the vision of either one or two individuals. Almost all of them, God gave the vision to one person, or maybe a couple, and they, by faith, 
began that work. Think of Lauren and Darlene Cunningham, who began YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Uh, Youth with a Mission is a tremendous uh, missionary work that spreads all over the world. Uh, Lauren Cunningham would be but he's mid-80s today. I, I think he's still alive in his mid-80s. And when he was a young man, his, his father, his mother were godly people, and he was in a, a singing quartet. And they're in the Bahamas, I think it was 1956. And uh, they had great services, and he went to bed one night, and he says, God gave me a vision. Not a dream, but a vision. It was like a, he says it was like being in a cinema and you could see the movie. And he says the vision was the surf breaking on beaches all over the world in different nations. And he says, as I looked closely at the surf, and I looked closer and closer and closer, the surf was young people, young people going into nations and evangelizing and witnessing for Christ. And he had that vision for a number of years that he wanted to raise up a work with young people who would go out evangelizing and witnessing on the streets and in different countries. And it took years before that took off, but it did eventually began to take off. And over the years, that has grown and grown and grown into there's hundreds of thousands. In fact, every year, a quarter of a million young people go out into the world through YWAM on a short-term mission every year. And that began with that one man. And when he's dead and gone, that work will continue and continue and continue. And then part of that work on the early days was the mercy ships that Rachel Lappin in here has served upon the mercy ships. She's served two or three terms on them for a number of years. And the mercy ships was really the vision of Don and Dion uh, Stevens. And th at that point, they were under the auspices of YWAM. But in 1978, they, they went on their own and started the, the Mercy Ships. And in fact, for the first 10 years, uh, they were, lived on the Mercy Ship with their four kids. And if you don't know about Mercy Ships, they go all over the world, particularly the African nations into the ports. They discovered that 98% of all the major cities in the world is a port city. So they want better way to go into a port to reach that city. And so they got this great ship and they bought it and they fitted it out and they get doctors to donate their time and surgeons and they go in there and they have a staff and they have crew and they, they maybe stay there for six months or for a year and hundreds of thousands of people are blessed and healed and helped and often won to Christ through the mercy ships. And so YWAM, YWAM has now... 20,000 full-time workers in 171 countries. And it all began with the vision of just one man whose labor has not been in vain in the Lord. Charles Letty Cowman of OMS's Oriental Missionary Society. It's OMS International today. Charles and Letty Cowman are dead. They're gone. But their work lives on. And in fact, they, uh, Letty Cowman, some of you have maybe read her little book, Streams in the Desert. It's a little devotional book that has millions and millions all over the world, particularly Chinese people, 
at Streams in the Desert. It's just little daily devotionals that she has written. And that is still perpetuating to this day, even though she's long since dead. The China Inland Mission uh, began with Hudson Taylor. It's now called OMF, the International uh, OMF International Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Uh, did I say Charles Nettie Clement, OMS International Oriental Missionary Society? But OMF began with Hudson Taylor, who was probably called the father of missions, a man who spent 51 years ministering to the Chinese. He loved the Chinese. He even dressed as a China man. I mean, he was just so loved their culture and so wanted to be a blessing to those people. And he labored and labored and labored. He died in 1905. And when he died, after 51 years, he had 205 mission stations and 800 missionaries and 125,000 Chinese Christians. <laughs> and that work is still going on to this day. His labor was not in vain in the Lord. In fact, it's growing all the time. George Verber, George Verber of Operation Mobilization, OM, is another tremendous work of God. George Verber, who's a, quite an old man today, but he's still alive, still very, very active. In fact, I was reading just yesterday where he's going to be heading up a great uh, uh, a conference. Of, I think it's going to be in Switzerland somewhere. And there's tens of thousands going to it. He's a great communicator, he's a great motivator of people into missions. Now, has anybody ever been on the ship Doulos or Logos? Anybody ever been on it? Just a few of his. Ferns there was very familiar with it because the very city where Ferns comes from, the Doulos and the Logos has been in there many, many times. In fact, the, the guy who ran, who, who ran all the teams on it and who was in charge of the personnel on it, a guy called Lenhart, and uh, Ferns would know him well, he's also a good friend of Claire. In fact, he's working now for Helping Hands. I think it's 18 years with OAM, but he's now, for a period, he's going to be working with <coughs> Helping Hands. But I remember one of the times we were visiting and the ship had arrived, and it was setting up for business. It was getting some maintenance work done, and that was going to open to the public. And so, because Claire knew this guy, he gave us a kind of a tour, all 13 decks, and showed us all around, even into the very bowels of the ship and all the rest of it. The thing I really wanted to see, and I didn't like to ask him, was I wanted to see the bookshop. Because the biggest Christian libraries in the world, floating library, hundreds of thousands of books. And so he said, I suppose you would like to see the bookshop. I said, yes, sir, I really would. I was busting to see it. Because the public at that point were in, so it was open. So I had the whole thing to myself. Can you imagine? All my Christmases came together. I thought I'd died and woke up in heaven. There I was. And it was wonderful. And, uh, but that is still going on to this day. Uh, the, the ships are going everywhere, and there are, there's hundreds and hundreds on a board of staff and of volunteers, and they go into the city, and then they go into churches, and then they witness on the streets, and they do everything. It's just tremendous. And their work is not in vain in the Lord. It's still a blessing. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this, even though that's on a grand scale, but I'm telling you this because even what you're doing on a little scale it will live on in somebody else. It will touch the lives of others and hopefully will even ripple into eternity. We mentioned at the very beginning David Wilkerson. 
Uh, David Wilkinson died in 2011 in a car accident. He was killed. And uh, whenever he was a young Pennsylvania country pastor, he decided he would uh, give up watching TV. He says he was spending too much time watching TV. He was going to give it up. And he sold his TV, and he's going to spend that time in prayer seeking the Lord. And he did that. And after several months of this, uh, one morning at 2 o'clock, he said he had finished his prayer time, was going to go to bed, and he's about to walk out of his study, and Life magazine was lying on his desk. And he says he felt strangely compelled to go over to it and open up, and he thought, Lord, maybe you're going to say something to me through this magazine. He says, it just seems so odd. So he says, I opened up the magazine, began to flick through it, and there I discovered there was a case in New York court, and it was to do with the street violent gangs, the gangs of New York. And there was a particular Hispanic gang, and they had, they had murdered a handicapped boy. They had stabbed him to death, and they were arrested, and they were up in court. And he says when he read that, his heart went out to that scene. And he thought of those young men and what they had done to that young boy. And he says his heart was just so burdened. Why are they doing this? And, and they're destroying lives, and they're destroying their own lives, and they're going, to be got, they're going to be taken to jail, they're going to be up for murder. And his heart, he says, just rose up just to, I must do something. And so him and his youth pastor, they drove the 300 miles to New York to the court. And they walked into the court, and the court was in session. And he's, he's from Pennsylvania. He's just a country pastor. This is a big city, and nobody knew him from Adam. So he's into the court, and in the middle of the court case, he stands up, and he says, Judge, sir, can I say something on behalf of these young men? And the police jumped on him and arrested him. He didn't know who in the world he was. And so they arrested him. But whenever they discovered who he was, and he was innocent, he was a bit naive, but he was innocent. They decided to let him go. But because it happened in court and all the press were there, then suddenly it was on TV that night, this Pennsylvanian pastor got arrested and the police jumped on him and took him away. And it was on the news, it was in the papers, everywhere. And lo and behold, when the gang saw that, they thought, hey, he must be one of us. They've arrested him. The police jumped on him the way they jumped on us, so he must be all right. And that gave him an entree that every Saturday he would go and preach to the, the streets of New York to the youth, to the gangs. And, and one particular gang, the Maumaus, Nicky Cruz was their leader, and it was a bloodthirsty gang. They had murdered many people. And Nicky Cruz was so angry with Wilkerson, he took out his knife and he says, I will cut you in a thousand pieces. And Wilkerson says, yes, you may do that. But every piece will say, I love you. Yeah. And Nicky Cruz could get over that. The Holy Spirit took those words and he, he couldn't sleep at night. And he came to Christ. Amen. And his gang came to Christ. And Nicky Cruz has been in divines ever since that day. They made a movie about that, The Cross and Switchblade. Some of you olders may remember that. Nicky Cruz was in Belfast last year. He was at Whitewell Tabernacle, he was preaching there. Tremendous ministry of, of reaching young people for Christ. And so, Teen Challenge uh, became out of that, that, going to that court that day. Teen Challenge grew out of that. And Teen Challenge uh, is to help 
young men and women who are bound by alcohol and drugs and, 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 and solvent abuse and all that stuff. And it's the most successful drug uh, rehabilitation uh, thing in the whole world, bar none. In fact, the American government went to Teen Challenge and says, how, do you, how are you so good at this? How is your success rate far above everybody else? And the reason is, is because they teach them about Christ, they teach them about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Today there's a thousand, a thousand Teen Challenge centers in 82 countries around the world. And then, he said he prayed for years. Oh God, he says, raise up a great church in New York City. And he says, if you send a pastor to New York City, I'll pay for him. I'll pay his wages. I'll get him a car. I'll get him a house. I'll back him 100%. And he says, I've prayed that way for years. And then God spoke to me one day and says, David, why did you do it? Why did you be that pastor? Why did you go to New York? Why did you raise up a church for me? And he did. And Times Square in 1987, he opened Times Square Church, which is in the heart of the theater land in New York. And they have something like 8,000 members today. Amen. And even though Walkerson and his wife Gwen are long since dead, but that work is continuing and it's growing and it's stronger than ever it's been. His work was not in vain in the Lord. Can I give you one more before we move on? Jean-Henri Dunant, a Swiss believer, a godly young man of godly evangelical parents. His father was a very rich man who helped the poor in his city. And Henri Dunant caught that vision and he began to help and to do this. And then during one of the Napoleonic Wars, he decided, if we go to that and, and help the wounded, that would be a good thing to do. And so that's how he started. That's how the Red Cross started. They would go out into war zones, which they still do to this day. And then the Red Crescent became an offshoot of that. And they helped. I mean, you see it on TV all the time. In every conflict area, you'll find the Red Cross or the Red Crescent are there. And all that began with a born-again believer. Amen. And... The cross, by the way, is not a religious symbol. It's a take on the Swiss flag. Some people think it's a religious symbol. It isn't. It's a humanitarian organization, but it was started by a born-again believer to help people around the world in conflict. And today there's 125 million members worldwide. And it all started with a young one man. He's long since dead, but his labor was not in vain in the Lord. And so God rewards those who diligently seek him, the Bible says, Hebrews 11, 6, who seek God in a way that is earnest, that's wholehearted, that's continual, that's with your whole heart and soul, Deuteronomy 4, 29, seek the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs 18, 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. If you are diligent and you seek the Lord, you will surely find him. You will have as much as the Lord as you want to have. 
And that's our problem. Sometimes we don't know, want as much as, as we should. But you will have as much as the Lord as you want. He will be available. He'll be there if you seek him diligently. I've said this to you publicly before. It's not a boast in any way, but it's something that the Lord saw, and that's the reason probably why I'm here today. When I used to work on that factory, making tires, and at the end of my shift, you had 15 minutes to wash your hands and clean up and clock out. And I don't know how many times at the end of that shift, I, I was just saved, I was just born again. Within a couple of weeks of being born again, I had an insatiable desire for the Bible to read the Word of God. Insatiable desire. And I would always carry my, my, my wee testament with me and work. And after the shift, I would go into one of the stalls in the, in the, in the washrooms and I'd go in there and lock the door and I'd begin to read and read and read and read. And, and say it was 3 o'clock, it was clocking off. 3 o'clock would come and 3 o'clock would go. Half three would come and I was still reading. Didn't hear the bell going, didn't hear anybody leaving. And the guy that was giving me a lift was outside the gate waiting on me, wondering where in the world Gaudi had got to. <laughs> Gaudi was in that reading his Bible. That's where Gaudi was. I, just that desire was just there. I didn't know then that that would not be in vain. I didn't know that. It wasn't my desire to be a preacher. It wasn't my desire to pastor anything like that. That was just, I was just a new believer. That was just, I was just saved, raw. But you see, that was not in vain. And the Lord has rewarded that. And he has blessed that. What are the rewards of God? As we wind up, what are the rewards of God? The peace of God in our hearts. The peace of God in our hearts is a precious, precious thing. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening around you, no matter what's spinning in your mind, but when the peace of God in your heart takes over, listen to what Jesus said, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There are many, many things in this life today that would cause us to be afraid. Many things. Many situations today that just seems completely out of hand. There's countries today you'd be scared to go to. It's so bad, it's so dangerous, so awful. And it will be worse before it's better. Jesus said the time is coming when men's hearts will fail them for fear of the things that are coming upon the world. But, he says, don't you be troubled. I will give you my peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Think of the peace that Jesus had. Think of what he went through. Think of the tax against him. Think of the fact that his own family didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection, apart from his mother. His brothers, his sisters didn't believe in him. Not a word of it. Probably thought he was mad. He had mental health issues, I would have said. But he hadn't. But he had to put up with that. Think of the opposition of the religious people who hated him with a passion, who wanted to destroy him continually. And yet in the midst of all of that, and even with his own disciples who failed him again and again, and even at the very last they failed him and denied him and walked away from him. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he had a peace. 
He had a peace that passed all human understanding. But here's the amazing thing. He says, that peace that I have, I give that to you. <laughs> can you imagine that? That same peace I have, Jesus, I give that to you. You can have that peace in your heart in spite of what is going on around you. Glory to God. Neither let it be afraid. Peace of God in your heart, the rest of God in your souls. <coughs> Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, weighed down with burden and care, and I will give you rest. Glory to God. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Glory to God. We get anxious, we get uptight. We get afraid, we worry, we have anxiety with this, with that, with the other. And all the time, Christ is saying to us, hey, take my yoke upon you. Come on, come to me, sit beside me, kneel before me, and take your time. Shut off everything around you, go into that room, and just sit before me, and just rest in me. Take my peace upon you. Take my rest. I give it to you. And the only way we're going to get that is take those moments apart and sit in his presence and do our devotions, do a time of prayer, time of little Bible study, and sometimes just to sit there and do nothing other than be in his presence. Say, Lord, whatever you want to say to me, however you want to bless me, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm here sitting in your presence, receiving from you. And you'll find that. You'll find that'll happen. And you'll walk out of there better than you walked in. Because life is tough at times, isn't it? It really is tough at times. The soundness of God in our minds. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Now, when he's writing to Timothy, he has good reason to write that. 2 Timothy 1, that is. But there's good reason to write, because if you read 2 Timothy 3, what does it say? This know in the last days, perilous times shall come. And he goes through a whole list of what people will be like in the last days. And it's horrible, it's terrible. And it's dangerous and perilous times, he says, will come. But in spite of that, he said, he says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity and fear but a power and love and a sound mind. When everything is going crazy around you and the world is going crazy, listen, our politics in Great Britain and Ireland is crazy. It's mad. It's insane. It's nuts. And I stand up here every time at election and I say to you, have your democratic right, go out there and vote. This time I don't even know if I'm going to do that. I'm saying to yourself, who in the world do you believe anymore? Amen. They just seem to lie out of the side of their mouth without any compunction at all. I have never been so disillusioned with politics in all of my 71 years on this earth. And when they come round my door, I'm going to be telling that. And I'm going to be asking them, why should I vote for you? Do you believe in murdering babies in the womb? I'm going to say, and if you do, then get away from my doorstep. There's no way I'm going to vote for you. Not a bit of it. 
You're against the very things the Word of God says. If that's what you say, fine, but I'm not going to vote for you. And if they say, no, I'm pro-life and I'm pro-marriage with a man and a woman, I'll say, well, good. Well, that's two things for you, at least anyway. But you might have a bit further to go yet. I hope you kept your promises the last time you were in my door. Because we know they make all the promises in the world till they get in, and it all goes, isn't it? You know? And they wonder why we're disillusioned. Take a wild guess. But we need the soundness of mind. We, we, we need to be able, by the way, we need to have a, a Christian worldview. You see, if you're going to have a sound mind, a, a mind that's subjective, a mind that's discerning, a mind that can think things through, that's a sound mind. But you're only going to really get that if you have a biblical worldview. Take the Middle East, for instance. The Middle East is just a powder keg continually about to blow up. And you have people running to it, they're going to... Tony Blair, he went out as the, he was going to be the envoy, he was going to solve all the Middle East problems. Whatever happened to that? That died a death, didn't it? Mr. Trump, he says he's going to solve the Middle East problem. He's got a great, beautiful plan. I haven't heard it yet. None of that's going to work. And the reason is because the problem is spiritual. It's biblical. It's prophetical. And politicians don't do that. They don't get that. That's why they can't work it out. But when you have a biblical worldview, you'd know why it's happening. You can see why it's happening. You know where it's going. We have read the end of the book and we know what happens. Hallelujah. And everything we're reading is coming true. Amen. But they don't care about us. They just says those Bible bashers, what do they know? Well, we know more than they know. Because we have a biblical worldview. Hallelujah. So that's why we've got a sound mind. Then finally, the provision of God for our daily needs. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. He opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. A little sparrow that's packing little seeds about the place today, it's not worried about tomorrow. It'll get up tomorrow, it'll flap its wings, it'll do the same thing, it'll find its food. Yes, in the winter time we'll give them a little bit of a hand if Sally allows me. Because it was bringing rats into the garden, she wasn't happy about that. <laughs> wasn't happy when her neighbor says, your rats is coming into my garden. <laughs> so to keep the peace between the neighbor and my wife, then we just put the feeders away. But sometimes if we don't feed them during the winter, they won't make it. So God raises up people. He's got a kind heart. <laughs> who loves little birds. And who will feed them? Others mightn't, but there's those who do. <laughs> sometimes I call my wife the minister of home affairs. And sometimes she's the leader of the opposition. <laughs> Pot noodles for lunch today again. 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Did you get that? <coughs> the little things that you've done, the little things that you've said, little blessings you've given away, all of that that you've long since forgotten, God has put it in his ledger. And one day you will be rewarded. And the influence you've had over others will ripple into eternity. Knowing Paul said that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that moment when you reached out in mercy and grace and you touched our lives. We have never, ever been the same. There is no going back. There's no turning back. There's only going forward in Christ. And so we thank you. We bless you today for your goodness and mercy that's new and fresh every morning for great is your faithfulness. So, Lord, as we go out into our working weeks this week, so we get into our various lives that we live, things that we have to do, people we have to meet. We pray, oh God, that your hand will be upon us for good. And Lord, it's somehow, some way that we'll touch the lives of others and be a blessing. So we give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.